Welcome back to Jokerman Podcast. I'm Ian. A little bit of a different concept for you here today. I'm in conversation with Jarvis Tavernier of The Great Woods on the occasion of their fantastic new record, Perennial, out now on, wouldn't you know it, Woodsist Records, wherever music is sold, distributed, streamed, whatever. Jarvis was kind enough to lend me a bit of his time to talk Woods, putting this record together, Los Angeles versus New York, The Velvets, John Cale, and even a little bit about making a record that's very special to me and to everyone listening, I'm sure, The Extraordinary Purple Mountains. Here's Jarvis. If I hear it, then you know it'll be like a mix or something where I'm like, I can get a little, we can get a little. I can go back, yeah. Just gotta tune that one, that one vowel sound that I made. My philosophy for doing podcasts is just like, just trust you. I appreciate the trust. That's the, I mean, that's the challenge of podcasting with a professional musician slash producer slash engineer slash you know man of many hats in the studio is like you. You know your way around uh, recording sounds a hell of a lot better than I do, so I gotta I gotta live up to expectations here. Yeah, the only problem is when um when I'm listening to podcasts and you could tell someone's like in their kitchen recording on a laptop speaker or microphone or something. Yes, yeah, we're running a pretty professional operation. That's here. when I want to jump in there, <laughs> uh, folks out there. That's uh, the voice of Jarvis Tavernier of the Great Woods, uh, uh, rock. Uh, I don't even know. What, I was gonna say, you know, rock and roll lifers. I, I don't know if rock and roll is the best way to describe it at this, but just you know, it makes good, us sound cooler. Yeah, I mean, you know, you guys, you guys are known to rock, and now and then, I, I wouldn't say perennial is like super in the rock uh, realm as as far as some of your other releases go. But you guys, uh, certainly live, you know, you you kick ass up there. Thank you. Pleasures, all mine. Uh, and so, yeah, we're here to uh, here to just kind of chat, rap, uh, see what see what's going on. We got a couple good interviews coming up on the show because there's so many great records coming out this fall. Wanted to touch base with some of the uh, the minds behind them. And Jarvis, like I said, is here to talk about Perennial, which should be out by the time this uh, this episode runs. It isn't as we record, but it's coming up uh, coming up pretty soon. You guys are heading down on tour, so the uh, the whole cycle is about to start again. This, and this is like the first cycle like post-pandemic thing that you guys have done like really right because the last record came out 2020 but i'm assuming most of that was cut pre-pandemic it came out right as things were shutting down and we we're supposed to start touring and then yeah here we yeah, are here we are so you psyched to uh kind of get get back to it i am we, we've played some shows a couple of shows a year but not a lot so i feel pretty rusty as far as the uh i don't know like when you're just when you're in it full time the camaraderie and just all your gear is kind of set up and ready to go. And I just feel like I'm putting the pieces back together. <laughs> I, I'm confident you guys will be able to uh, get back, uh, get back into it. Get there. Quickly. It's, it's fun, but I am like, Oh, you know, I just want some new toys to play <laughs> with. And so who, who's, what does the band consist of? The, I guess the live, because like recording, you know, the record itself is like, it, it's basically you and Jeremy's woods, like as far as like the, the band exists on record, right. At this point. We always do, or at least three people in sessions. This record was with John Andrews. Sure. And uh, John and Jeremy switching on drums and guitars and whatever. 
So John, a lot of the musical chair. Absolutely. And John Andrews, of course, of uh, John and the Yawns, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, another member of the, uh, the Woodsist family. Um, is, is he going out on tour with you guys, too? Or you guys, you, you got different people uh, set up to, to play? Yeah, he'll be playing with, uh, with Cutworms. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Cutworms is going out. Yeah, yeah, Max is a friend of the show, too. Love him. Yeah. Great, uh, great guy. Great, great new record also. So many good records coming. I feel like we're really kind of hitting, hitting our stride with music uh, coming out at this point. It's nice to be back into like a really uh, a feast season. I feel like I, I went through at least a couple famine seasons for a while, but like people finally are kind of like clicked back into gear and uh, getting back to life as normal post-pandemic. We're trying. So, I mean, you guys have been doing this for like almost 20 years at this point. Has it just been like a one day, one step at a time kind of thing? We had no master plan, just like a vision for it. But it was it was very much like in the present of like what this band could be or should be, or just like the open-endedness of it. Right. Which I think lends itself to longevity. Yeah, I I almost kind of think that there's like um I I like I've, I've you know you look at the way that like Radiohead has has um uh, made records over time and the way they kind of talk about it where just like they kind of go off and do their own thing for a couple of years and then like when it when the mood strikes them and like they've got an exciting new direction to to head forward and they just kind of like come together. I feel feel like you guys kind of do your own version of that or have done your own version of that over the last. 15 years or something, because I mean, the, the record sounds so different, I would say from, from time to time, obviously, you know, a wood song is a wood song and there's going to be some through lines, uh, from beginning to end, but you know, strange to explain versus Ben beyond versus like, um, uh, you know, songs of shame, for instance, like there's, there's so many radical different moves you can take. Um, it's always a really satisfying listen to me when you just, you drop something new and it's like, oh, here we go. It's like, I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a way to keep the band fun and keep creativity flowing. But when I started playing with Woods, the fun was that I felt like we could do anything. Like anything was on the table. We, we could at least try it, you know, stylistically. And I like records that are like that. Yeah, absolutely. And the new record, you know, uh, on that note is, uh, I, I think, a great kind of, um, you know, further expansion on that. Um, I, I, I love, honestly, I love how, like, heavy you guys lean into the instrumental stuff on this. Like, I was a little, like, I think that was mentioned in the, the first couple releases around, you know, when the record was announced. Like, there are, I think, what, four or five instrumentals on this, uh, on this record? I don't know the exact number. <laughs> I think it's four or five. I've been listening pretty, uh, pretty intently. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I, I, I was kind of thinking like, what is, what, are they going in like an ambient direction or something? Um, and that isn't, that isn't it. You know, this isn't like a Brian Eno uh, record by any means, but um, the, just the, the uh, honestly, the, the, the instrumental songs, I think are the ones that I'm coming back to the most, um, uh, you know, beginning with the seed and ending with the title track perennial at the end, they just like, there's such an effortless effervescent kind of vibe that you guys managed to capture on those that they feel just as rich as a lyrical verse, chorus, verse kind of song, if not more so in some cases. Yeah. That was definitely the idea going into this one. Cause the last one, um, weekend wind, the last song on the record was kind of the last thing recorded or the last thing that came to us. And it was totally just a jam from us being in the studio for so long and just kind of being in the flow. And the studio we've been working at the last couple of years, you you live in the studio. So it's, it kind of reminds us of the old days of just setting up a studio in Jeremy's house 
and you're just, you know, ideas just keep coming to you and keep flowing. Absolutely. So once we tapped into that, going into this record, we just decided like, let's just kind of lean into that. Uh, Jeremy had some ideas, some, some songs, but he did even those he left pretty open-ended. So yeah, a lot, a lot of the time in the studio was just jamming on ideas. Jeremy had these loops. He had been to loops. Really? Yeah. They were not like totally rhythmic click tracky loops. Some of them right. were just like waves, you know, but, um, that would kind of set the tone, but majority of the session was just, yeah, the three of us in the live room. Or I'd be making, a lot of times, like in the morning, I'd be making coffee and the two of them would hit on something and I would be like, you know, my ears would perk up and be like, ooh, that sounds good. <laughs> it's not like this is all blueprinted and diagrammed out in advance and you're just coming in to like nail the parts and stitch them together in, in logic or whatever after the fact. It's very much still like a collaborative discovering process that is going to change and shift radically from like day one when you're in the studio to day however many how, how long did it take you to, to cut the record there was two like five or seven day sessions okay so rel relatively quick as far as those go yeah but um i mean gotta keep in mind how long we've been playing together sure. so even doing it's not like we're just gonna jam and that'll be it we know we're gonna jam figure out some parts and then keep experimenting keep overdubbing and and structuring the instrumentals and and just try to arrange it in a way that keeps people's attention or is fun for us. You know? Absolutely. And you and Jeremy are, I mean, Jeremy's in upstate New York, I think, right? And you're in Los Angeles. I am. So like cross-country collaboration, is that, it always seems challenging to me, especially for a band like, like you guys who are so like, you know, it's anyone who sees a Woods live show can see it, can sense it, can hear it, like right in person. It's just like, it's so immediate and powerful. Um, is there any is that like a challenge or is there like something exciting or almost kind of like um, uh, new about having to collaborate in that kind of fashion over time? It's just we do it less. It feels very much the same. So mm -hmm. when we're together, then it's just back on. But it's like, it's unfortunate that so much time has passed since the last time we've done that. I right. mean, first, I feel like the first eight or 10 years of Woods, we just did a record a year because we were just compulsively recording and getting excited about music and just wanting wanting to get back in there, you know? So, part, you know, Woods, the band, obviously, uh, a major focus of your music making and, uh, you know, artistic practice, but also the, uh, you know, kind of uh, Woods exists beyond just the band. Obviously, there's the Woodsist label, which you were saying earlier is mostly kind of Jeremy's thing, but you do a ton of, yeah. like, producing for artists who, like, are putting records out on Woodsist or just kind of run in the same sort of scene and at this point it seems like that is doing like you're you're doing just as much of that you know kind of behind the boards and in the studio as the actual like playing in the band um was that was like was that just sort of a natural step like moving into the engineering producing whatever kind of roles with other people that are kind of aligned with you or were you like actively 
committed to making that part of what you do, you know, from the very beginning? Um, I think I was committed to it, but it, I definitely stumbled into it once I got involved with Woods. And the, the way we were recording was so, uh, I mean, it was lo-fi, I guess you would call it. But, sure. uh, <laughs> you know, but that was the intention of it because we had been in these bands for a while me and Jeremy have been in other projects together separately, whatever. And uh, yeah, so doing Woods was kind of this cathartic, just like recording ourselves at home, first takes, like, fuck it. And, um, but then as I got involved, I was like, well, I could make it sound a little better. Well, I could, <laughs> you know, just like little by little, like maybe I'll buy a nice preamp. Maybe I'll buy this. Maybe I'll learn about this. And then it just really snowballed with people asking me to do, you know, a band asked me to do a couple songs or a record. And uh, yeah, but then once I got going, I, I started to pursue it. I wanted to actually be good at it. I mean, I always wanted to be good at it. Right. Well, I can, I can assure you, you are good at it at this point. So you're, uh, you're succeeding there. What, um, <laughs> what do you get out of that that you, that's like a different, because uh, I assume that like scratch is a different part of your brain than like, you know, actually crafting these songs and putting together a record like with Jeremy um you know for woods even within woods it's like i guess my brain just works a certain way where i can just listen to a song over and over again and focus in on frequencies and things i just i'm just built for that um so doing that outside of woods just makes sense because i i enjoy that kind of collaboration sure and sometimes i'm playing in the band too or sometimes i'm playing bass on a record and and sometimes i'm just engineering producing or sometimes i'm just mixing I just I like it all. So you're uh, you're a five tool player, you know. It's a everything uh, one stop shop. You're uh, you also had a you're a father now, right? True. What's uh, what's that all about? You gonna do it? Uh, honestly, I mean, I it's now that we've moved and we're kind of getting settled into a more uh, comfy environment. I can I can see it somewhere off in the distance, but like it seems like an incredible amount of work, to be honest. The work. I mean, it's really fun. So once you, I mean, for me anyway, just being in the flow of it, sometimes I stop and I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's kind of a lot. Like when I try to do things, go mm. out to it, realize how tired I am. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's fun. <laughs> every day is an adventure, I would imagine. Yeah. Or also every day is the exact same. Well, <laughs> you know, like go to work, kid comes home, there's like, you know handful of things you have energy for i uh i got the same feeling well i mean i i'm sure it isn't the same feeling because i just have a you know a dog which you know is is more than not anything but miles away from taking care of a, a kid but I, I have that same feeling myself sometimes my wife's um uh, sister my sister-in-law has two young kids like a three four-year-old and a and a one-year-old and it's just like you know when we get together and see them it's like man i i I'm exhausted just like seeing them have to deal with this on a on a uh, uh, three hour uh, little get together. I can only imagine uh, how how just day in and day out, especially like you know as someone who's also you know in the studio cutting records and obviously going out on tour. Although I'm guessing uh, you won't uh, you won't be joined necessarily by your uh, your sweet babe uh, uh, at all these rock and roll shows. Sounds more fun, actually. <laughs> I do think it's like the well for me the attitude going into it. I sort of chose like I know it's going to be a lot of work, but like this has to be fun, right? Like this, I guess all of life, like it needs to be enjoyable. It's the right way to look at it, you know. 
being a father and, you know, kind of finding this new element of life in general, uh, you know, unlocking a whole new fucking thing. Did that find its way into the record or into just like where you were coming to your art? You know, I was thinking about that the other day and I don't have the answer. Maybe that's something I'll be able to look back on and see. For now, it can be so hectic having a kid, especially when they're really young. Uh, that when I do get to work on music, I'm so protective of, of that time that I almost feel like I shut it out. But I know it's affecting it, but I just, yeah, I don't have the perspective yet to see that. Hard to diagnose it like when you're in the middle of it. You don't have the uh, the, the distance from it one way or the other yet. Yeah, no. And sometimes it collides where she'll come by the studio when I'm working with someone. Her mom will bring her there. She doesn't just show up. <laughs> she just takes an Uber on her own. <laughs> Which I love, but yeah, like I said, I, I need to have, maybe I need some time, some time and perspective. Sure. Well, I mean, I'm I'm sure it can't help but uh, find its way in one way or the other, you know? Hooked up on a fishing line, looking for the break of day. I've never been here before anyway. It's the wine in my feet that's the blame. You know, we've been talking about wood stuff so far, but you also mentioned you're a big vintage violence head, Mr. John Cale. I am. After we talked earlier, I, I went down a little John Cale hole. John, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great hole to go down. I know. There's a lot of blind spots. I mean, it's intimidating talking to you, like if we were going to talk Dylan or, you know, Lou Reed, which I, which I associate you guys with, obviously. Um, <laughs> there's just so much. I feel, you know, I couldn't keep up. John Cale, though, I, I've got more of a grasp. Uh, what is it about, uh, Mr. Kick? Because, like, honestly, that's I, I, I love to meet a fellow John Head, but he's he's definitely several factors below, like Bob and Lou, for instance, in terms of just like he's got a big ass discography, but it's full of so many weird twists and turns. What, like, what what drew you in that direction in the first place? I don't know. Something clicked with me with Vintage Violence when I heard it and reading about it today. It, it, he was saying that it's just like a really simple record. He was just figuring out his his thing, right? And like listening to it with that perspective, I get what he says, but I think that's what I like about it. I mean, the songs are cool, bands cool, arrangements are cool. The sounds awesome. And it was like it was right around the time of early woods when we, you know, started really going for it. Um, as far as like productivity, and um, so yeah, we're listening to the, a lot of Flying Nun stuff, and then I don't know, like vintage violence fit into that world for me still love it but um paris 1919 mm. fear those it was those three that i listened to a lot but i haven't really gone down that road in a while i had a summer where i listened to mr wilson oh, once a day one of the greats it is the ballsiness of just putting a song like that out you know this this like honestly very um admirable song a song that like like is is very admiring of Brian Wilson and it being, you know, the first fucking track on Slow Dazzle like that in whenever that was, 1975, I think. I just, I, I wish people would do that kind of thing today. Apparently Brian hated the song for what it's worth. Really? He thought John was uh, kind of poking, poking a little fun at him. It's a great song. I don't really know that record. I just, that I latched onto that song after my initial Kale solo phase. Just love it. 
it's uh, it's uh, it's one of the one of the great slow dazzle is such a weird right. I, I've, there's so many different weird uh, dead ends on that record. It's it's hard to even explain. Um, I was just John Cale's discography too. Just being like, what else is there? <laughs> what other Cale stuff we got? That Island Years comp. I think it's like slow dazzle and um, is it Helen of Troy? Totally. The the the, the yeah. It's fear. Um, Slow Dazzle and Helen Troy, that's like the, the island kind of triplicate, like trio there from 74, 75. Yeah, yeah, there's so much good stuff, and I don't really know those records. And what is that fucking song that's kind of crazy? Is it Leaving It Up To You? Mm. <laughs> Just he's he's wiling out exactly. Yes, love it. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the best. He's uh, just he's so able to uh, inhabit these personalities in his music and and live. You know when he performs, it's um, there's a real element of like performance with a capital P to a lot of his music. I think that you that you don't get out of a lot of you know typical even you know you know art rockers or whatever from from the past like. Is he just takes it to a whole whole other level? Yeah, I mean, he he's got a great scream. Like, he's, it's amazing. And <laughs> Sylvia said that kind of that's just like another side of him. It reminded me of like other songs of his that I also love. Yeah, he's I don't know, I love him. He's the man, you know. That's why we uh, spent uh, a year and a half pouring over each and every morsel of his uh, his musical output <laughs> from the last sixty years. Did a vintage violence episode that was the very first one after we finished up with uh with bob but we didn't even do a lou episode number you know first first step uh, of the john and lou series was vintage violence well why did why did you leave john you know he he uh I, i think because we wanted to prove to uh people out there that like he was worth talking about you know like the the whole concept of the show after uh uh show whatever of, of whatever we're doing you know post bob was like you know lou was really the 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 first one that we thought of who could you know can't maybe quite stand up to to bob on his own but like is is up there in that rarefied air but then when like we started thinking about it and looking at like you know the velvet stuff is is there we got to talk about that we got to talk about you know the the reunion stuff that they did in the 90s and then like why not also just fold in this other guy who also had just as rewarding of a career as Lou Reed isn't anywhere near as famous obviously but is still working to this day you know he just played a show in uh in in Brooklyn a couple of weeks ago um you know it was we were a little unsure you know to to what extent people would be interested in just endless talking about this guy the way that we talked about Bob Dylan, who's maybe, you know, the, the person that anyone is most interested in endless talking about. But I think uh, I think we've both been very, very happy with the way that it all panned out, you know? Oh, I saw John Kale at Desert Days, like maybe five years ago, four years ago. Oh, shit. And it was awesome. I didn't really know what to expect. It was amazing because it walked this line where I was like, wait, is he is this like trip hop or something? I was like, but it's amazing, whatever it is. Yes. It didn't hurt that the second he was done, Iggy Pop was playing on a different stage and just kicked into "I Want to Be Your Dog." That sounds like a hell of a night. The masses were walking from John Cale over there. I mean, it was amazing. But um, did you do you reveal on this your favorite Velvet Underground record? 
Ooh, I mean, that's a, uh, that's a, a contentious uh, subject and one that, honestly, I, don't, I, I, I find myself having different answers to uh, all the time. I, I think the chalk answer for me is the third one, you know, which is the first one post-John, although, honestly, at, uh, on some days, like some of the rarities collections that they put out in the, the 80s, like VU, for instance, that, that really is a sweet spot for me. But if I got to pick just one of the four, I think I, I'd still probably go with number three. I think I lean three and four. Hell yeah. All right. So loaded even. I love loaded. Beautiful. I had an experience. You know, it's going to involve drugs because I said experience (laughs) where it was just like one random night. A friend was like, come over and me and my girlfriend at the time just went over and just like five of us took shrooms and then he was put on loaded. And I, I've done plenty of psychedelics in my younger days, but, uh, had never, it just been a while since I, sat around with a group of people and specifically just listened to one record all the way through. I love it. And this was the guy who suggested it runs uh, or manages Academy Records in Brooklyn, Frank mm-hmm. Corp. Uh, so like a real record head who's like, yo, this is the best one. We're listening to this now. And I was like, all right, let's do this. And I think after that experience, I was like, she's right. That's, uh, you know, I, I, you can't ask for anything more uh, for any sort of record. And Loaded, I think, is the perfect one to have that kind of experience with because it is so... I mean, it's so different than the other Velvets records, but it's so rich and rewarding on its own terms. We had, um, we talked to Dean Wareham about Loaded when we did um, that episode, and like going into it, we were, uh, you know, uh, uh, a little unsure, like what kind of conversation we were going to have about it. Is fucking, is the guy from Galaxy 500 and Luna, like, is he going to be a huge Sweet Jane and Rock and Roll head? And like, Loaded is his favorite Velvets record too. It's like, it's so, it's, Brings brings a lot of people from different walks of life together. I've I've found totally. I mean, I think it took me a while to get into them because they did seem like one of those bands that I was like, oh, they're just some like old band that everyone likes. Like I assumed everyone liked that. It was like you know, like in college, like people like like you have Velvet Underground poster on your wall. <laughs> I don't think I realized. I don't think I was really tapped into reality going to art school. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the Vel- yeah, Velvet Underground uh, in art school is like, uh, you know, having like a Jimi Hendrix or an RHCP poster at like a state school. <laughs> but maybe that guy played the, maybe Corey played me uh, Loaded that day or us Loaded because anything else might have, might have scared us. You know, it, there, 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 there is like a great argument to be made for like starting with that, with that record because it is, it is like, you know, it, it's loaded with hits. That's why they fucking called it that. And, you know, uh, uh, to his credit, you know, Lou was able to really, you know, just pack a great song, uh, or, or pack a bunch of great songs into a tight, whatever that was, 40, 45 minute LP on that. Um, and for some people, like that's what they want out of it, right? Like that. So going backwards from that towards like white light, white heat is going to be an intensely, uh, unpleasant experience, but for you know, for the others out there, it's like just seeing them unmake themselves and all these different fucking directions they were able to uh, to go in just short, such a short span of time. I mean, there's really almost nothing else like it in in the history of rock. What what is what's Evan's favorite? He's a uh, he's an avowed first two type of guy. He's he's very much into the uh the sound and fury of, you know, Black Angels Death Song and Sister Ray and stuff like that, which on on some days me too. Um I I almost kind of like like never having a, a a satisfying answer to what is your favorite uh, uh Velvet's record, right? Cuz like it it can be any of them on any on any given day. There's no wrong answer. Yeah, I mean that's what's fun about music. It's uh 
I, you know, we, I, we can argue about our favorite things, but it'd probably change <laughs> about it, you know? This episode of Jokerman Podcast is presented by DistroKid. Over a million artists rely on DistroKid to distribute their music and get it into all of the places it needs to go. Your Spotify's, your Apple Music's, your YouTube's, your TikTok's, your titles, your Instagram's, and any other streaming service of note. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy. With unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100%, that's right, 100, all of them, folks, of their royalties and earnings. DistroKid comes with tons of great features, including Mixia, which allows DistroKid users to put the finishing touches on their tracks in just minutes, getting a customizable and polished end result that anyone can feel confident in before sharing it with the world. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. So go to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store to download it today. You got a favorite Woods record? Ooh, I like what you did there. Um, <laughs> you know, for a while, it was Ben Beyond. Was that? Because it was the first one where I had developed some chops for recording and mixing. Not much, but a little bit. And you know what? It, it was, I gained some confidence too. And um, yeah, and I think it, it shows on that record. And Jeremy wrote some really good songs. And it's just cool. It's just a good mixture of like the destruction <laughs> destructive era woods and the like oh we let's clean it up a little bit but we were still operating in the same way it was still recorded in jeremy's house he had moved to upstate new york at that point but like you know i owned like a half inch tape machine and i had some better gear but it's still pretty janky i think it's a sweet spot you know as far as i'm concerned you know uh, one thing that's so rewarding about listening to your guys' shit not to you know uh, uh pump you up too much here uh but just the the mastery i think that you've developed and like like listening to perennials like it's this amazing just like lush like almost getting like pet sounds smile kind of vibes from it at certain points just the the beauty and the three-dimensionality of some of these soundscapes especially you know when you get to um again some of those instrumentals um but uh like I was saying earlier, like the 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 intense, just kick ass, like freak out that you guys are able to do live, like that that's kind of what drew me in in the first place. So like that that synthesis that I think you nailed in in that era and on Ben Ben Beyond, I think is is uh like I said, real great sweet spot. Yeah, I mean, and and the like the live, the more aggressive live woods yeah it's a i think we've caught that on record a, a few times but it is a, it's a funny thing because we once we get in the live setting it just becomes something else ben beyond is and, and with light and with love both title tracks um <laughs> i'm realizing but those songs were two things that became what they are live and then we track them which up till you know the first bunch of records it was we were just recording not really playing many shows so Around that era is like when we started being able to apply. Like it wasn't just a recording project. It had become more of like an actual like live this is a bit. And we like a lot of music. So when we play live and, you know, the juices start flowing and like maybe some aggression comes out that's a little different from when you're tracking a song or while you're writing it, you know. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. And I mean, it's a different experience. Uh, it strikes me as a different experience. I say this as someone who does not make music, uh, but just the, you know, kind of the, the energy of being in a room with people and they're responding to what you're doing and you're, you're able to do things differently instead of just trying to perfect one particular melody or take or whatever in a studio. Like it makes sense that you want to pursue a different kind of energy or spirit in that context. Totally. And you're on tour and you're bored and angry, aggravated. It's got, it's got to go somewhere, you know? A lot of long drives in the van, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, it's always fun, but it's just, you got to let loose. Yeah. <laughs> I let that energy out. Yeah, no, it's a totally different energy, like being a live band tracking a record versus, you know, recording one part at a time. I like them both. I think if you stay in the flow state when you're doing those, like, building up a track, not playing live, you can kind of capture that same energy if you're working quick. But yeah, overall, I like playing recording live, which is perennial is. And it sounds like it. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, I, I really cannot uh, stress enough how just like, I don't know if, if it's like hitting me at the right moment in time and just like the weather and where I'm at in my life and stuff. But it's just like, it sounds like exactly what I want to be listening to at the moment. What's the weather like? Uh, it's not too bad, actually. It's uh, It's been unseasonal. Well, I guess what, it's September and October. That's California summer, right? So it's uh, it's it's warm, you know, warmer. Um, but still, I mean, San Francisco warm is, is Los Angeles cool. So like 73 degrees, nice little breeze, long days because the sun stays up fucking forever. It feels very, very appropriate for just like kind of where I'm at on a daily basis, you know? Oh, nice. I want that weather. Is it hot down there? It's okay, but yeah, you know, it's, you know, I I, I see that it's in the 80s, in the low 80s, and I'm like, oh, maybe I could wear a sweatshirt today. <laughs> you moved to Los Angeles. Or were you local native? Sounded like that was an accus- accusation. <laughs> moved to Los Angeles, so uh, deal with it. Um, what were, Yeah, I'm a native New Yorker. Native New York, okay, yeah, because I, I was a native Angelino, uh, you know, I grew up uh, uh, born and raised down there, and, uh, you know, loved it, still do, um, but something about, you know, I, I lived in New York for a couple of years, and then we ended up moving back out to California in the middle of the pandemic, and went Northern California this time, there's something about, I just, I, I, um, I love going back to Los Angeles all the time, it's, you know, an unbeatable city, but it's, it's at the same time, I find it like, almost kind of like I, I feel sort of like I'm going insane at certain points, it, depending on where I'm at in the city, at least. Definitely. Especially in the heat. And yeah, it feels like you're going insane. <laughs> but, uh, you know, nine months out of the year, it's heaven for me. Maybe eight. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it depends on uh, if it's a if it's a good fire year or not, which uh, fortunately, knock on wood, <laughs> we've been we've been blessed so far. You know, just, you know, living in New York, saying the fall is, that fall is my favorite season. And then every year I'm like, I think it was like three weeks long, but I'm like hanging on to that. Like, no, New York's the best. I had to let it go. Yeah. Well, a lot of people, uh, you know, can't, can't do that. That's an impressive thing. You know, the, the New York to Los Angeles or Los Angeles to New York pipeline, that's pretty well established. But I feel like a lot of the, the folks who go from East to West end up just like kind of hating on it and, and always feeling out of place and hanging on to something from their past. So credit to you for uh just subsuming into the los angeles mindset like did you have someone particular in mind when you said that i've got you know not people that you would know but i've got individual people in my life that i have in mind 
I mean, both are great. Yeah. You know, there's a reason those are the only two cities in the country. I know. The only two places I've lived. I feel embarrassed talking about it. I, I've got the same exact thing. It's literally like 25 years in Los Angeles, three years in New York, three years in San Francisco. So I, I have no leg to stand on here. Somebody wrote me an email saying that they, they're a Woods and Purple Mountain fan. And they asked about what guitars we use on things. And... You know, I was like, oh, this is really sweet. I'm going to stop and like figure out which guitars we actually used on these two songs and wrote him back. And he was like, also, do you have any book recommendations? And I was like, actually, I just read this book. Uh, I think it was like Odd Woman in the City. I forget the author's name, but uh, it's about this woman walking around New York and blah, blah, blah. And, and then I'm reading this book. It's more of like an L.A. thing. And he wrote back. He's like, yeah, thanks for the info. I'm not really interested in reading a book about either of those cities. <laughs> Uh, th- thanks, thanks for the free. Thanks for like making like beautiful art that I love and answering my question about the guitars and also offering me like personal recommendations of other things that you're enjoying. I would really prefer if you recommended some other things, actually. But you know, it was yeah. I felt like how you would have felt reading that. But um, <laughs> so I do think it's funny to live in these two like you know the only two places I've lived. These bubbles, yeah. Like reading books specifically about the two places. Those are the books that I, you know, it's, I've got my Los Angeles shelf. I got my New York shelf and I'm, I'm, I've got a smaller, but growing, uh, you know, Northern California, San Francisco shelf at this point. That that's what I'm interested in. Do you, uh, organize books by location? Specifically with those, those three locations. Yes. Because like I, I've been on more of like a nonfiction kick recently for whatever reason. Um, and, uh, and so I'm just honestly reading like a lot of history about, I have read a lot of history about Los Angeles, New York, and I'm doing more of that with, uh, with, uh, up here in the Bay area at this point. I don't, the, the rest of it, which mostly is like fiction and stuff, I don't organize based on where the books are set, but for whatever reason, those those particular like nonfiction uh, physical location things, they've got they've got their own little little nook on my bookshelf. Yeah, well, yeah, I was a little embarrassed. <laughs> I was like, what the <sighs> do I have? I have to have something that isn't these two cities. You know, it uh, it's, at a certain point you just gotta you can't have any any shame about it. It, it. it is what it is, and honestly, I mean that's that's where all the shit happens. So it's, uh, there are worse fates in this world. Well, uh, you know, you mentioned, um, Purple Mountains there, uh, and that is a, a segue, you know, into uh, a topic that honestly I would love to have you back to just like do a full conversation about at some point. You know, we've already been going for a while, so I'm not gonna drag you down a, a rabbit hole too much. But I would just love to hear your experience, just purely as a fan, like a listener of like Silver Jews material, like. Like, what did that mean to you? When did it hit you? Like, what, what is that all about for you? Like, just strictly as a fan. Strictly as a fan. I mean, as a fan, those records really hit me, um, especially Natural Bridge. Yes. Yeah. Fucking yes. Um, I mean, I like them all. But uh, yeah, maybe that was, that was the first one I bought. I have this memory. I told David this and he loved it. 
but that I went to Warp Tour because I was like, you know, I was pretty young. But that I I went to to Warp Tour because I also liked uh, pop punk, mm-hmm. as you do, sure, and skateboarding. Uh, and yeah, like when I came home and I was just like so sunburnt and just exhausted from the day, like coming home, putting on like Natural Bridge and just chilling out. And he just thought it was funny that you know that I would leave Warp Tour and listen to his record. The Vans Warp Tour kid comes home and puts on <laughs> puts on the rest. Uh, that I found that waiting in line to get in, I found two joints that someone had ditched. So, uh, you know, I was pretty faded by that point too. Sure. Long day, but the descendants were great. I can imagine, you know, Hey, there's, there's nothing wrong with the descendants. Um, yeah. Natural bridge is maybe my favorite again is the wrong word to be using here. Just the same way that it is with the velvet underground. Um, but, uh, uh, like, that that's that's one that's really close to my heart for for whatever reason uh it's it feels like it maybe is a little undersung in in the uh in the jews catalog maybe because it comes right before american water obviously but um what he's able to do on some of those songs like you know i've heard dallas one million times and it just never the 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 steers and mirrors lines just never fail to just annihilate me every time i hear them yeah pretty eyes is the one that yes like as a kid, it just reminds me of Halloween because he's got a line about carving the pumpkin. You know, I can just like it just takes me back to being a, a teenager in upstate New York suburbs, or just barely upstate. But um, <laughs> people give me shit about my fake upstateness. That's you know that's a that, that's a common uh, point of contention amongst New Yorkers. I've come to realize. I broke the uh, silver juice talk to be like, hey, just to clarify. <laughs> You know, I just so I don't get any shit for this. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a record. Bright Flight is my other top one. Hell yeah. It's probably Bright Flight is the one I go back to the most. Perfect record from top to bottom. I'm drunk on a couch in Nashville in a, a duplex near the reservoir. Mm-hmm. What a way to f- open a fucking song. Even just those words drunk couch duplex reservoir <laughs> it's perfect i would i would love to know I, again like, like i said i i i, I want to if you're up for it at some point you know do a whole just kind of chat about jews material or or anything but it, if if you have a minute just to you know in, indulge me with how you guys even just kind of got in touch with him in advance of purple mountains i would just love to hear about that he got in touch with us he um he emailed jeremy i guess the woods account just out of the blue it was out of the blue he said he'd been listening to woods and sent us a very flattering email wow just complimenting us saying that he's you know thinks we should be famous or or something i forget <laughs> what it what he said and then at the bottom it's like would you want to work on some music together pretty cool that's incredible i i, I cannot um like it it sounds like something that you would get like as a like a prank email or something you know like it, it, some some asshole would send you a a message like that and be like hey it's, I'm David Berman do you want to just like be in be like be on the record with me and make an album and but not like that's just that is legit what like man that's incredible I didn't know if it would actually happen I just thought like oh that's that's amazing he wrote you you know big fan that's cool. Um, especially because I've been producing and mixing records for a while. I had been at that point. So I was used to things being talked about and not happening. Or even things starting, do a couple days and it doesn't work out. The vibe is wrong. So I never, I mean, part of me 
thinks in advance, but I was like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. And we had a few phone calls and, um, yeah. So, so even after that email, it wasn't, uh, it was still more of a process to, to get us all in the same room. And so, and then like the, the, the difference between once you actually got in that room working with him versus just making a Woods record. Um, not a big difference. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm the only, I, I, there were a lot of differences being that it was David's songs. Uh, but we didn't have to overthink it too much. I, I did a, a little in the beginning where I was, I was really, uh, or at different times I was pretty vocal about, Hey, we have to make sure this is, this is David's record. Like, let's not just cause we're comfortable and we have our own working relationship and our flow. Let's not like overpower that. But even, but we, uh, I don't really think we did. And David encouraged that. So, yeah, I think we were able to get the record done and work so quickly because, I mean, at that point, especially Woods had just been going so hard for so long that we could just work so quickly and just ideas would fly. And, you know, trusting that we're both fans of Silver Jews and just trusting that, like, yeah, we're like all that stuff is in there. Like that, like respect for his, his legacy or just even mm. him as a person. In, like, yeah, we're not going to like steamroll him with our ideas. And we, it was a pretty great collaborative uh, relationship. We all had like a game plan or, or we knew like, you know, we talked to him about which Silver Juice records he liked and what things he liked about them, like sonically and, you know, all that and even other records and he would make us playlists. So, yeah. So once we went in there, we can like, turn off our brains a little bit to like, like we, we, we filled up on all that information before getting there. Sure. Yeah. I, it, I mean, uh, you can hear it in the record. It's, it's, uh, you don't need me to say it. it's one of the great records just ever. Um, but, um, it, it like musically is so satisfying and a brilliant kind of callback to honestly you you saying that bright flight is one of your favorites makes sense because i feel like if there's a clear antecedent in the jews catalog to the sound that you guys captured on that record bright flight might be the cleanest you know kind of closest match differences obviously but way different from something like tanglewood numbers or or lookout mountain um i don't know it was just a match made in heaven to me i have memories of us listening to bright flight in the van even in like early bands like you know 20 years ago Mm. That being a record, maybe it had just it had come around that, out at that time. Probably not, but anyway. So I think that was like part of our shared language. Like when, we, and me and Jeremy actually did like a did a day together at a studio before meeting up with David. It was actually just a studio I was working at, and I had a half day, so I was like, just come and we'll just jam and kick around ideas. And there were definitely a couple songs where I was like, what do we do with this song? Jeremy's like, we just do the Silver Juice, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know what you mean. Duh. <laughs> we don't have to think about it really. I've read about the just, you know, fucking odyssey that it was for him to uh to to put that out, but like uh, I I remember he had put some tracks down with Dan Behar like up in Vancouver at some point, you know, and and uh you know, tried to figure out a way to to make that work, which sound, I mean, I love Destroyer too, like the, another one of my favorite acts of all time, but Destroyer, especially like later Destroyer and what you guys are doing on Woods seems so like pretty, pretty, pretty different to be honest. Um, did, did David come with any sort of like preconceived notions about what he had achieved in those sessions and like tried to 
recreate them with you guys or was it totally just like blank slate, fresh start? He sent us, maybe not before we started working, but at some point he started sending us different versions he had done with with Dan. Um, I'm a huge Destroyer fan too, from like early days. Favorite Destroyer? Um, favorite Destroyer. Mm, I don't know if I could pick one. Yeah, that's that's another that's another one. There's no wrong answer. Yeah, it's tough. I've been on a big Rubies kick recently. Rubies is great. Love Rubies. I mean, when I got into him, it was still pretty early. So like Thief and um, City of Daughters. Wow. I loved those. Still do. Space Race, great song. Mm. But obviously he's become something so much bigger and different, you know, and weirder and cooler. Yeah. I still love those. Um, yeah. So I, we didn't hear those versions. And then when he started sending them to us, I just didn't listen. Because I just I didn't want it to color or think maybe I'd done something wrong or took it in the wrong direction. We're on such a good flow and we're being so productive. I know how much he struggled with it. It just seemed, yeah, for my own my for my own mental health, like to not to just stay focused and have a clear clear path that we were on together. Totally. Yeah. I mean that that seems like you know the the way to do it. Uh, you know, in in as insofar as there is a way to it do it. Records where sometimes you do, sometimes you open up something and you hear a demo or an old version of something and it sparks some sort of creativity. And that's great too. So I would think if we weren't flowing the way we were at the pace we were, then I probably would have listened to it. But I bet they're really great. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you say like, hey, these are this is music made by David Berman and Dan Behar. And just like sign me up i'm in but at the same time like especially reading a little bit about david's you know opinions on some of what came out of those sessions and seeing just the warmth and natural kind of beauty that that you you achieved on purple mountains like it totally makes sense that that it ended up being what it ended up being mm-hmm. um one like one other just question uh a selfish uh kind of <laughs> question that i've always been curious about um were there other songs that didn't make the record? There weren't. They, he had, there were maybe some lyrics and we, we made some music that we liked, mm. but it just, it never worked. It never became anything. Yeah. There was no extra songs. It's really crazy, which in normally would make me nervous, but I really, I just love how he had these 10 songs and he really worked on them. And then we were forced to look at them like, there's no, there's nothing else. So we just knew we had to, to bring it to life in some way or find a way into it. Um, I'm glad to hear there aren't, uh, there aren't extra songs uh, <laughs> to be frank. Cause I feel like I would, I would be, if, if I knew there was a whole like second disc of cutting room floor material, I would be uh, uh, going insane. Uh, just uh, clawing at my cage until I could hear it. It's also insane that there's not, you know? Yeah. I was hoping but, there would be, or there'd be a part two. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, I, I think that's a testament again to like the fact that he really did, you know, withdraw, just withdraw after Lookout Mountain. And it took ten, a decade, over a decade, you know, for, for Purple Mountains to come back and just like grinding away at perfecting each and every one of these songs to make it as good as it possibly could be for those, you know, thousands of days in a row. It's, it's, there's something like really heroic about it to me. Heroic is, I think, the right word for it. Yeah. The organ, the Mellotron, the synth, whatever that is on All My Happiness. Who, who's the mastermind there? That is Jeremy Earl. Oh, that, just, that's a moment of pure transcendent beauty, you know? 
Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. It's just like, oh, that's meant to be there. That's perfect. It's like it, it always has been there, sort of. Like it's, it's almost crazy to me that someone like thought of that in the first place instead of it just like, you know, having been pre-built and, you know, existing like the oceans always have. That's, you know. That's- I mean, those moments, that's why, I mean, kind of going back to Woods, I guess it's all music, all creation, like when you surprise yourself. And that, that's what's so nice about writing parts in the studio or, or just having the, the time in the studio to to stretch out and experiment and try things just to surprise yourself because that song was kind of done it just didn't really have like a hook at the beginning it was like yeah hey, maybe we'll find something maybe it doesn't need it and then he just plays that line and i mean i've gotten emails about that that so that came at like the song was done tracked mostly put together and that that was just like a late addition you like we knew it needed something yeah uh well i mean yeah, what what you guys accomplished there is um, is is going to go down in history. Uh, I think already has, and um, to live alongside everything else that you've accomplished in Woods. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm really proud of the Purple Mounds record. I mean, every record I have, I point out many problems I have with it, mainly like my own where you fucked up. <laughs> I think I fucked up. Yeah, but I I try to not live in that space. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, as any sort of uh, 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 flubs or, or uh, different sounds or, or whatever that you might uh, wish you had to do over on, you know, and you can rest assured that that's all just, it's all, it's all part of the tapestry at this point. I, I wouldn't change a single second on that record. Thanks, man. I mean, it's flubless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, well, I, I think I've uh, eaten up more than uh, uh, enough of your time at this point. Thank you for being so gracious with uh, your willingness to. This has kind of gone all over the map, so <laughs> I'm, I'm very glad that you've uh, uh, been willing to to go as far out with me as uh, it, I guess I've gone. Um, but uh, again, perennial uh, out now, incredible record, uh, another just banger in a uh, deep catalog of bangers from Woods. Uh, just keep on, keep on keeping on, Jarvis. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for having me. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the Joker, man. You know, it, uh, I, I never know to what extent people are like familiar with, with the show or, you know, uh, uh, in, enjoy it. And so like, cause you know, I just, it's only ever me talking into the computer to usually Evan or, and, or a guest at some points. And so it's like, I, you know, for, for all I know, I'm just screaming into the void. And so it's, <laughs> when 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 folks out there uh you know uh are are familiar are, are aware or even fans as you say that's uh it's very satisfying to me especially uh uh someone that i have been such a fan of for so long myself Thanks again to Jarvis Tavernier. Folks out there, catch him with Woods on tour in your neck of the woods. Pun somewhat intended. And make sure to give Perennial a spin. Another fantastic record from one of the rock world's perennial... See what I did there? Artists. A band that just keeps coming back, blooming again and again with each passing year. Jokerman. <laughs>